morning, brothers and sisters. I invite you to stand as you are able for the reading of God's word. This morning we are reading from Psalm chapter 33. It can be found on page 463 in your pew Bible. Psalm 33. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice, and the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the heart of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. The word of the Lord. Hey, good morning, everybody. It is good for the people of God to come to the house of God, to be in the presence of God. And uh, I'm, always, I'm always glad we have two services, personally. Uh, not because I get to preach twice, but I get to praise twice. And uh, it's always so good to praise the Lord with you all, especially when Prajwal gets going on promises. I just, I just love that. So. But uh, good to be with you this morning and uh, here this uh, first Sunday of Advent. hope you had a great Thanksgiving, and uh, we had a fine Thanksgiving ourselves. I'm coming off the tail end, on the tail end of a cold, um, which means I'm a little bit more subdued. I'm not my normal energetic self, as you guys all have come to know and love. But that's okay, because this morning, it's a bit of a, it's a lament sort of intro into Advent, and uh, maybe that's appropriate. But um, 
Here we are in Advent, first Sunday of Advent, uh, beginning with a kind of a posture of lament as we anticipate the coming of the Lord at Christmas time, celebrating the great gift uh, that Christ is to the world. And uh, we're going to be looking through uh, uh, the Psalms throughout this season of Advent. And so this morning we're looking at Psalm 33. And the traditional theme for the first Sunday of Advent is the theme of hope, which really is a nice pairing with this posture of lament as we began the service, because hope is for the day of trouble. Uh, It's because we have things to lament in life that we need the hope that Christ provides. We need hope when life isn't going well. And maybe life is going well for some of you this morning. And praise God, if that's the case, if you're in a good season of life where everything is going in the right direction, praise God for that. But maybe it's not for some of you. And I know it's not for some of you because I talk to you or I pray with you after the services or I read your prayer requests or just in a room this size with this many people, the odds are that for some of us, life is not going all that well. But whatever the case, whether life is going well or it's not going well for you, I've been praying that the Lord would have a word for you this morning about the hope that he provides. We're going to move through our text. We're going to focus really on the last half of this psalm in particular. And we're going to look at the hopelessness of earthly powers in verses 13 through 17, followed by the hopefulness of of God's love in verses 18 through 22, and then we're going to come together and we're going to take uh, communion at the end of our service together. So we begin verses 13, uh, verse 13, with the hopelessness of earthly power. In 33, 13 through 15, the psalmist tells us that God has the God's eye view of the world, which makes sense because if anyone has a God's eye view of the world, God has a God's eye view of the world. And as he looks down from heaven upon the sons of man, he observes everyone's deeds. And then here's what he sees in verses 16 and 17. He sees the king hoping to be saved by his great army. And he sees the warrior hoping to be saved by his great might. And he sees the cavalry rider hoping to be saved by the great might of his war horse. And all three, the king, the warrior, and the cavalry rider, are relying on a form of earthly power that they hope will save them in time of war. The king is relying on his army, the warrior on his strength, and the rider on his war horse. In the ancient world of Israel was full of military conflict. Perhaps really not all that different than the world that we live in today, although here in America we were insulated so much of the conflict. But in ancient Israel, it was full of military conflict. And victory typically went to the king with the greatest army and the warrior with the greatest strength and the cavalry rider with the mightiest war horse. But here, the psalmist is telling us That's not how the world actually works. The king is not saved by his army. And the warrior is not delivered by his strength. And the rider is not saved by his war horse. What the psalmist says in verse 17 about the war horse sums up 
all that he thinks about all three earthly powers. He says that they are false hopes for salvation. Now, what does the psalmist mean when he says that these earthly powers are false hopes for salvation? Well, if we look back up to verses 8 through 10, then the answer becomes plain. So look back up here in your text, verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsels of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, and the plans of his heart to all generation. Earthly powers, the psalmist is telling us, are false hopes for salvation because they're not decisive. The Lord's power, not earthly power, is the decisive power that grants victory. What God establishes cannot be moved. What he commands cannot be undone. The counsel and the plans of the nations, of all the earthly powers, they are swept aside when he bears his strong arm. And the psalmist is reminding himself and his listeners that victory does not ultimately rest with earthly powers, but with God's power. It's not that earthly powers have no power. It's that they're not decisive. And this really is the story of Israel all throughout the Old Testament. The story of Israel over and over and over again is the story of David and Goliath. A small earthly power contending against a great earthly power. But victory doesn't go to the great earthly power. So often victory goes to the small earthly power because... God is on the side of the small earthly power. You can have the biggest army in the world, but if God is not on your side, forget about it. Now, most of us this morning are not engaged in geopolitical war in our day-to-day -day lives. We don't make a habit of relying upon armies and warriors and war horses. But we're not so different than the ancient Israelites. We have our own first world perils here in 21st century America. Perils like domestic abuse or racism or sexism or the tyrannical bosses who are out to get us or, or perhaps more mundane threats like what will my mother think of my Thanksgiving place settings? Maybe that was your peril this past week. Or what will my friends think of my new shoes? In every peril, whether big or small, we can sense the fragility of our lives. We are aware to greater and lesser degrees that we are vulnerable people living in an often hostile world. And we're aware that our gender or the color of our skin or our boss's actions, or our mother's judgment, or the judgment of our friends, all puts us in positions of vulnerability. And so just like the ancient Israelite kings, we layer up our own versions of armies and warriors and war horses to keep ourselves safe. Some of us place our hope in our intellectual power 
to keep us safe. If I'm smart enough, then no one can pull one over on me. Or some of us place our hope in our social power. If I'm well-liked enough, no one will want to pull one over on me. Or some of us place our hope in our financial power. If I have enough money, no one will be able to pull one over on me. Or we rely upon our sexual power, our political power, our military power, our athletic power, and on it goes. Anything that we hope in to give ourselves a sense of safety and security, that's a contemporary version of Israel's armies and warriors and war horses. So what's your war horse? What's your go-to earthly power that you tend to look towards to give you a sense of safety and protection? You can often tell what you rely upon because it's the thing that you spend the most time and energy protecting and nurturing. And it's the power that causes you the most anxiety when it's threatened. But now isn't that something curious? That you have to protect the power that is protecting you. It's no wonder we're all so anxious all the time. Because we've placed our hope in earthly powers. Now, earthly powers are not inherently wrong. We all need governments and relationships and family and friends and finances and so forth, just like ancient kings really did need armies and warriors and war horses. Earthly powers are necessary for this life. But here's the thing. However much our earthly lives may require earthly powers, earthly powers are nonetheless false hopes. And the reason they're false hopes is because they're not decisive. True victory, whether in ancient Israel or whether in 21st century America, rests ultimately with the Lord and with His power. Now, in and of itself, the news that victory ultimately rests with God's power is not necessarily good news. Because so what if God's power is the decisive power? And that brings us to the hopefulness of God's love. Look at verses 18 through 22 again. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. I think the contrast between verse 13, which begins to talk about the futility of earthly powers, and verse 18, which begins to talk about the hopefulness of God's power, the contrast between verses 13 and 18, I think, are striking. In verse 13, the Lord looks down from heaven. The impression we have is of a God who is high and transcendent, and he is removed. But in verse 18, his eye is on those who fear him and hope in his love. I think the sense is so much more intimate. The Lord is near and present to those who are hoping in him, that God might come to their rescue and deliver them. 
Our soul waits for the Lord, the psalmist says, because he is our help and our shield. And because, verse 21, because God is on our side, because he has taken all of his power and he has deployed it on our behalf, because he is the decisive power of the whole universe, our hearts are glad in him. There's such beauty here, because we don't just hope in God's power, we hope in his love. He is for us. He is not against us. He who made the heavens, who gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, and he puts the deep in storehouses. He who before whom all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe, the one who brings all the counsels of the nations to nothing. This one, he loves us with a steadfast love. And he is for us. When the nation of Israel was really constituted as a nation, that happened when they were pulled out of Egypt. Abraham and his descendants had been around for a while, but the nation of Israel really began when they were delivered out of Egypt and the slavery of Pharaoh. And as they passed through the Red Sea and they, and they were delivered from Pharaoh... They sang together the song of Moses. Listen to this song of Moses from Exodus 15. This coming together of God's power deployed on behalf of God's people. The Israelites sang, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in battle. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries and you send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deep congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. But you blew with your wind and the sea covered them. And they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. Oh, the power of God. But then listen to verse 13. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. It's because God loves us that his power matters. Because if he had all that power but he didn't love us, what good would it do us? It doesn't do us any good. Our hope is in the steadfast love of the Lord. He is on our side and his eye is upon all who fear him and who are hoping in his steadfast love. So often we can all fall into a, a mindset of, it all depends on earthly powers. Even when we're Christians and we know better and we know we should better, know we that we, we should know better, we can fall into that mindset. 
that it all depends on earthly powers, which very often translates into, it all depends on my power. And we forget that the decisive victory belongs with the Lord who loves us. We forget that no matter how hard we strive, no matter how much we labor, no matter how skillful our hands or how deep our social network or the size of our bank accounts or how cool our shoes or nice our place settings, we can't secure victory apart from God. But with God, with God, everything and anything is possible. I'll give you an illustration of this. It relates to parenting, but it could really relate. The principle applies more broadly. I think of parenting because I'm in the thick of parenting with a 20-year-old down to an 8-year-old. We spend a lot of energy on it. Many of you do too. But, but whether it's parenting that is the great challenge of your life or it's your marriage is the great challenge of your life or your work is your great challenge of your life or you're a student at school and at school is the great challenge or your social network is the great challenge, whatever it is, the principle is still the same. Jill and I were having uh, dinner at the missions dinner a number of weeks ago. And we were sitting across the table from one of Calvary's prospective young missionaries. And I won't say her name because uh, I don't want to embarrass her. She's just such a, a delightful person. But we asked her about her testimony. And so she began to tell us her story. And she's so uh, mature and full of the joy of the Lord that perhaps I sort of expected that she must have been raised in this really tremendously devout Christian family that was so full of the joy and the love of the Lord. But as she told her story, that wasn't her story at all. And as she told her story, it was a nominal Christian family that she was raised in. And uh, her mother was faithful, but her father was not. And he was involved in a six-year-long extramarital affair. Her older sister had wandered away from the faith and become pregnant out of wedlock and had a child. And uh, her mother was uh, bedridden uh, into a bed and paralyzed for the better part of a year. And it wasn't a story that talked about such a wonderful home of family devotions and prayer and going to church together, not at all. And yet the Lord met her in the midst of all of that and revealed his love to her and drew her to himself. And he demonstrates the power of his love in the midst of all the failed earthly powers. So Jill and I were driving home and we were commenting on how it was such a good reminder because we, we work hard to try to create a good family home for our kids, right? And we were like, I think we're doing better than that, right? I mean, I'm not running around on anybody for six years, you know? We go to church every Sunday. We say our prayers, right? But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter, does it? Because it's the love of God that is the decisive power that determines the success of our parenting, and it's the love of God that is the decisive power that determines the success of our marriage and our work and, and our friendships and our social networks and our education and all that we care about and all the battles that we are waging in life. It's the love of God that is the determining decisive power. And maybe that's a word that some of you needed to hear or hear again this morning. Because you're up against it in some area of your life and you've been hoping in the false hopes of earthly powers. Maybe you're up against it in your parenting or your marriage or your career or your sanctification or your health or your relationship with your mother or whatever you're laboring at. 
What conflict or battle are you fighting this morning? And what are you hoping in as you wage that war? Are you carrying it all on your shoulders like the final victory depends on you? Perhaps not you, but you're, you're looking to some other earthly power. Let me give you five signs that you might be, might be hoping in an earthly power when you should be hoping, hoping in God's love. One sign is you're stressed and anxious. Your whole life is stressed and anxious because you have placed your hope in a power that you cannot guarantee that it will come to your aid. And so you never quite know if you're going to be safe. And so the stress and the anxiety circles around you. Another sign is perhaps that you're despairing. You placed your hope in an earthly power. The earthly power failed you, and now all you know is despair. So you're stressed and anxious. You're despairing. Perhaps another sign, a third sign, is that you're critical of others. you you, you, you see this earthly power, it's supposed to come to your aid. People are getting in the way and messing up this earthly power. And so you, you become critical of other people because they're, they're, they're not coming to help in the ways that you would want them to help. So you're stressed and anxious, you're despairing, you're critical of others. Here, these last two might be more especially true if the earthly power that you are relying on is yourself. You're exhausted. And you're trying so hard. You're trying so hard to win the fight. And you can't afford to take a break. And you've exhausted yourself. Or maybe you're not necessarily stressed and anxious or despairing or critical of others or exhausted. And then this fifth sign is for you. You're proud. Because you've reached for an earthly power And it has seemingly succeeded. And so now you stand secure in your own pride, thinking about what you have done by the might of your own hand. And the earthly power hasn't failed you yet, but it will fail you, but it hasn't failed you yet. And so you find yourself in a posture of pride, looking down your nose at all the other people who can't get their earthly powers together like you've gotten your earthly power together. So if you're stressed and anxious, you're despairing, you're critical of others, you're exhausted, or perhaps you're proud, it's all signs you need to turn your hope to God's love. And if that's you this morning, then God is saying to you, that battle that you're fighting, that thing that you care about, it's not in your power to achieve victory. It's in my power. And I love you. Yes, I have things for you to do in this fight, but the decisive thing is not what you do, but what I do. Stop carrying the weight of your children on your shoulder like the weight of the world. Stop wringing your hands about your marriage. Stop stressing about your career. Place your hope in my love and in my care for you, not in your counselor or your bank account or your friendships or your intellect or on and on it goes. Listen, God wants your involvement in whatever 
power uh, struggle you're involved in or whatever battle you're involved in. He wants your involvement, but he doesn't really want your help. He helps you. You don't help him. More often than not, he has something for you to do in that conflict or that struggle. Sometimes he doesn't, but more often than not, he does have a part for us to play in it. But he hasn't left it up to you, and he's not depending on you. And here's the truth, whether you recognize it or not. It's not depending on you either. When we make ourselves the decisive factor in the success of our lives, we're putting ourselves in the place of God. And worse, so much worse, we're cutting ourselves off from experiencing the love that he has for us. So this morning, if you find yourself stressed, anxious, despairing, exhausted, critical, or perhaps proud, maybe God is telling you that you need to loosen your white-knuckled grip on the wheel of your life and place your hope or replace your hope back in God's love for you. Now, as we turn towards communion, let me give us one more reason why we shouldn't place our hope in earthly powers. Earthly powers to win earthly battles, to secure earthly goods. Because even when we win the battle, we still lose. Even when we win the battle, with God's help, we still lose. The earthly goods that we strive for in life, a good marriage, good children, secure housing, a good job, peace on earth, and so forth, all of these are true and they are necessary for earthly life. But they are still false hopes. Think about the most basic of earthly goods, food and drink. You can't get more basic of an earthly good than food and drink. Food and drink are absolutely necessary for life. We can't live without them. But no amount of food and drink can deliver you from death. Put me on a tropical island with unlimited food and drink and then come back in 100 years and check on me and I'll be lying there dead among the fruit trees. Death is the great leveler of all earthly goods. No matter how great and necessary for the survival and flourishing of our earthly lives, no earthly power or the victory it can achieve is able to deliver us from death. The sharpest intellect will grow hazy, the strongest physique will grow soft. The deepest and warmest relationship will become distant. We begin all of our marriages with the words, till death do us part. And for the best of them, the most successful of them, that is how they end, in death. Our sexual power, our athletic power, our physical power, all of it is a fading flower that withers and dies, even when we have so much of our lives still left to live. 
no matter how good and nice and necessary those powers are for our earthly existence, they are still false sources of hope. Earthly goods aren't just false hopes when we over-prioritize them or we gain them by hook and crook or when we didn't trust the Lord to supply them. Even when the Lord has supplied the victory in an earthly power, God's earthly gifts become false hope when we rely upon them to provide for us what only God can provide. Earthly goods can't bring peace to our souls. They can't bring true rest. They can't cleanse our guilty consciences, and they can't deliver us from death. Only the steadfast love of God can do that. God's steadfast love for us in Christ is eternal and it transcends the grave and is greater than the good and necessary things of this world. Yes, God loves us and he helps us navigate the necessities of this life and he does give good gifts along the way, but there will come a time, indeed, likely many times along the way, when he will have to teach us that he himself is the good, not the gifts that he gives to us. That he will have to teach us that all earthly goods that he has given to us are just types and shadows and signposts of himself who is the true eternal good. And I think that he tries to teach us this truth as gently as he can, because he's a kind and he's a gracious and a compassionate God, tries to teach us with as little pain as possible to wean us off of the earthly powers onto the true power that is him. But sometimes we can't learn what it is to find our sure hope in God instead of earthly powers until we have only God. And that can be painful. It is painful. Maybe you find yourself in that place this morning, being weaned off of an earthly power to find your hope and trust in who God is himself in his person. For the rest of us, be grateful for the good things that God has given to you. But don't place your hope in them. They're false hopes. Place your hope always and only in the steadfast love of the giver. And that takes us to communion here this morning because there's nothing that God has given us that signifies that the good things of life, the true good of life, is himself than communion. So we turn here this morning on this first Sunday of Advent to communion, to the table, to be reminded that God is our good. that all the good things that he gives us in life are but signposts along the way. But communion is the great reminder, the great signpost with a capital S, that God has given us himself. And in giving us himself, therein lies our hope. He himself is the power that he gives to us, that gives us life, not only in this age, regardless of what comes, and also in the age to come. I'm going to invite the servers to come up here in just a moment, but let me just say that as the elements are distributed this morning,
Let me encourage you to think about the powers that you rely upon naturally and where your hope is placed, what you're trusting in. Hold the elements in your hand as a reminder that your hope needs to rest in the power of God who loves you, that he is the decisive power that saves you, not just in this earthly life, but also in the life to come. If you're not a Christian this morning, I'd ask that you let the elements pass you by. Communion has always been, historically, it's a, it's a gift from God to the people of God that the people of God take into themselves and give themselves back to God. And so if you're not one of people of God, then this meal is not for you. But let me encourage you, even as the elements are distributed, to contemplate, too, the invitation that the Lord extends out to you. He wants to place his steadfast love upon you if you would but let him. He wants to be for you if you would but let him. To receive his love freely because there's no price that we could pay that could, could buy his love. He extends that to you. We're saved by grace through faith, apart from works. There's nothing that we can do to buy his love. He just gives it to us freely as a gift. He extends that to you this morning. Consider the invitation that he extends to you. Servers, if you would come up to help distribute.